And I've read some articles where they actually said when they come back to the wheat and the bread and everything, they said it will really only hit South Africa by September, say August uh, this year. So it will still take time to uh, really experience a full impact. And if you refer to July last year, for instance, uh, uh, with all the violence where there was also some increases, I think it's going to increase even more. Hello, my name is Donald and welcome to the number one media company, Worldview. At Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our worldview. Today, we're talking again with Dr. Peter Grunewald. Dr. Grunewald is, of course, the leader of the Freedom Front Plus. So, Doctor, good evening. Welcome back to the show. What is your opinion of the ongoing conflict in the Ukraine and the ANC's position to abstain from condemning the invasion in the UN? Evening, uh, Donald. Well, firstly, I want to say that the Freedom Front Plus, of course, condemns the war in Ukraine. I mean, if you look at international law and everything with that, then there's no way that you can justify the war in Ukraine and Russia that uh, sent its troops and its tanks into Ukraine. War is not a solution to problems. Uh, I always say that when we talk about war, the real victims of a war are actually the women and the children. And therefore, we condemn it. If I look at the position and let me just say that, and I know there are different arguments on both sides, uh, as far as Ukraine is concerned and as far as Russia is concerned. And yes, I know the history about NATO uh, and the breaking of promises and all that uh, justification some people want to hold forward for Putin to invade uh, Ukraine. The fact of the matter is that could have been solved in other ways, not by sending in your troops and your tanks. The moment you send in your troops and your tanks, then you are the aggressor. So when I come to what uh, the view is of the ANC, well, firstly, it seems that the ANC government uh, tends to always make the wrong decision when it comes to global issues. I mean, uh, they abstained when it was about the resolution in the United Nations. And the argument is, and we even had the debate in Parliament, is that they see Russia as a friend and therefore they want to play a role to try and facilitate a peace, say, treaty between Ukraine and Russia. Now, I said in Parliament, I said, well, you as ANC may see Russia as a friend, but the question is, how does Russia see you? Do they see you as a friend or, the, or are they only seeing you as a useful idiot? That's what I said. And what I mean by that, I really don't think that President Ramaphosa has the ability to play such a major role and decisive role in the Ukraine a Russian war uh, to say, come to me and let's see how we can solve this problem. And we see that. I mean, there are peace talks on uh, taking place already and already started a couple of weeks ago. And it seems if there is some progress, but uh, what it really is going to uh, end in, we don't know. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, the ANC government and President Ramaphosa is not in a position to play the role of peacemaker between these two countries. And therefore, we must also remember that all the people in South Africa uh, is going to suffer. I said in my speech that each and every person in South Africa will negatively be influenced as far as the war is concerned, because if we look at uh, food prices and the statistics I have, for instance, that 30% of uh, use of wheat in South Africa is imported from Ukraine. Now we know that that is going, the prices is going to increase and there are already uh, baker companies 
that said that they will have to increase the price of bread. Now, I mean, uh, bread is part of the core foods in South Africa. It's the same when it comes to uh, fuel, the fuel price. We will see next week what it is going to cost uh, the consumer. And the fact of the matter is, everybody, well, almost everybody has to use some or other time some transport and that will cost. Uh, and it is an increase and we see that inflation is in uh, the rise and increase. So it's going to affect each and every individual in South Africa. And we will see on the long term uh, how severe those consequences of the war in Ukraine is going to affect uh, people in South Africa. And the government must realize they must act in the best interest of the citizens of South Africa not in the best interest of the ANC as a political party. And I think that is the mistake that they are making. Uh, and I also said that if you say you're the friend of Russia, real friends appreciate correct criticism, then they should have criticized Putin for what he is doing. And if he is really seeing the ANC as a friend, he would have taken that to heart and maybe that could have had an influence. Hey everyone, Donald here. Sorry for interrupting the interview. Don't worry, this will be short. I just want to address you, our loyal viewer, and thank you for making this journey possible. Looking to the future, we want to remain a largely independent company so that we can provide you with the content you deserve unfiltered. But doing this takes a lot of effort and time, and we want to drastically improve our production quality so that we can, amongst other things, create live events and provide you with the action as it happens on the ground. For all of this, we will unfortunately need money and your help. Please consider donating on Patreon or becoming a member of our YouTube channel. If you become a member, you will have access to an array of benefits, including access to content before the official release. Most notably, we will notify our members beforehand of an interview and give you an opportunity to provide your own questions from which we will select some and present it to the interviewee. We will also mention you as we ask the question. If you know of any other methods, which are perhaps more user-friendly to help you support us, please let us know in the comments. Furthermore, if you want to advertise on Worldview, we have an advertisement guide that will be sent to you if you email the email address in the description. We are open to providing any company or project with more visibility on our platform. Please consider helping us or advertising on Worldview and by doing so, see the content you receive improve dramatically. Now, back to the interview. Yes, um, one can be pro-Russia, but still condemn the invasion. But do you think inflation will lead to more riots, like the riots we saw last year in July? Just repeat that again. Do you think inflation will lead to more riots, like the riots we saw last year in July? I think it's going to rise. It's already uh, uh, increasing. And I mean, the prediction is that it will go over 6%. Uh, that is uh, the latest from the Reserve Bank. And we already see that they have increased the interest rate with uh, 25 points. Uh, no, it was, uh, yeah, 25 points. Uh, and there was some talk that they actually wanted to increase it with 50 points. So, uh, yes, I think it will increase, but uh, we will have to see. And I've read some articles where they actually said when they come back to the wheat and the bread and everything, they said it will really only hit South Africa by September, say August uh, this year. So it will still take time to uh, really experience a full impact. Therefore, if you ask my qu the question, yes, I think uh, inflation is going to rise. Uh, and if you refer to July last year, for instance, uh, uh, with all the violence where there was also some increases, I think it's going to increase even more. Do you think the ANC's refusal to condemn the invasion has something to do with the Chancellor House, which apparently has ties to Vladimir Putin and Russia, donation to them um, prior to the 2021 election. 
because it seems like the Chancellor House's donation saved him. So do you think there's some financial ties with Russia? That is why the ANC is unwilling to condemn them. There's no doubt that there are some financial ties with uh, Russia. And I mean, we must also remember that at one stage when Zuma was still president, there was a strong uh, effort from Russia uh, when it comes to nuclear power in South Africa. So there are very strong ties uh, with numerous uh, companies. Uh, I think it will be difficult to get the exact number of companies and Chancellor House uh, as far as that is concerned. And uh, yes, we must also remember that, uh, and that's where sanctions comes in, that it is not impossible that the Western world, and I don't say that the Western world is always correct, they also made mistakes, but it can happen that if it continues and the war gets more ugly, that the Western world and the United Nations can start and say, but all the allies of Russia, we're going to start with sanctions against you as well. And I mean, then the sanctions are going to hit South Africa. Uh, we must uh, look uh, to the future as far as that is concerned, and there can be uh, unforeseen consequences as far as that is concerned. But you're quite correct, but not only from Chancellor House. I think some other companies, specifically uh, black economic empowerment companies uh, and black uh, uh, companies and even white business people, uh, they do have ties and they made uh, some good business with Russia. And uh, of course, I think uh, the business sector in a certain sense, a certain part of it will surely, and when it comes to Chancellor, uh, Chancellor House specifically, put pressure on the ANC government to ensure that they do not uh, alienate uh, Russia uh, in this whole war in Ukraine. How would you handle this situation if you were the president of South Africa? Would you be neutral or would you impose sanctions? How, how would you handle it? I wouldn't have been neutral. I would have been uh, very clear uh, on my view and would have said to Putin that you are making a mistake to uh, send your troops and your tanks into Ukraine. Let's see what other ways uh, we can follow to solve the real specific problem uh, from Putin's side, as well as, uh, well, it, it's about NATO uh, and how we can solve that. And I would have uh, started a process to see that, and I know there are certain treaties already, but to strengthen those treaties, uh, where there is more assurance to Putin to say that we as NATO members will not expand and we undertake that we will not accept Ukraine as a member of uh, NATO. So there are many other ways would, uh, which could have followed. I would have not used uh, sanctions because I don't think sanctions is really productive because we must always remember that sanctions is like, a, a, how can I say, a, a, a two cutting edge uh, sword. Uh, you can start sanctions against a country, but it will also affect your own country. So I wouldn't have done that uh, if, if I was a friend as the ANC says they are. I would really uh, would have tried to convince Putin uh, to say, listen, let's follow a different route, a peaceful way to solve the problem. And uh, I would have then stood up in the United Nations and said, well, there's an obligation on the Western world to ensure that there is uh, an assurance to Russia that there will, not be no, there will be no further expansion as far as NATO is concerned, and then specifically Ukraine. That's what I would have done if I was the president. Yeah, on this policy, uh, on this topic of foreign policy, just out of interest sake, a lot of people criticize or universally criticize Robert Mugabe's position when he, um, in the early 2000s, he took the land, he did those land invasions. And they, they also criticized Thabo Mbeki for being quite not responsive enough when that took place. What, what would have been the appropriate response in that situation? Would actually be an invasion be a, an option on the table if you were the president? 
No, what I say is that you must always be objective when it comes to a specific issue. You've referred to Zimbabwe, for instance. Uh, and I coming back, it must be fair and just. And if your neighbor or your friend, as I said before, if they are in the wrongdoing, then you must respond to that and you must say that to them. And I would have not started uh, sanctions even as far as Zimbabwe is concerned. I mean, I always say sanctions is nothing else than a diplomatic war uh, in a certain sense. So it's, it's just another form or a different form of, uh, can I say then, warfare. Uh, at least people don't die of that. Uh, but that is also possible. And I mean, uh, if you start with certain sanctions, it can uh, change into f uh, famine or something like that, depending what the circumstances are. So even if uh, it comes to Zimbabwe, uh, I wouldn't have done that. But I mean, Zimbabwe is actually a good example where the world started and said, but they're going to start sanctions. But it didn't solve the problem. Uh, in fact, Mugabe went ahead and actually just uh, expropriated farms and took it. Uh, and the world just uh, sat back. They criticized, but they didn't do anything as far as to say to Mugabe, but listen, let's sit around the table and see how we can deal with that. And that's actually what Zelensky is actually experiencing now. I think Zelensky from Ukraine, the president, he thought that uh, the Western world, and he actually, as far as I'm concerned, what I see from uh, media reports and everything, I think he believed that at a certain stage or phase that uh, NATO would have interfered to protect him. And with great respect, I could tell told him beforehand that that will not happen because then you start an actually World War Three. Do you think it's more appropriate when the Americans apply these individual sanctions, where they target individuals rather than the country? Where they, for example, I believe it was through SWIFT, where they terminated many oligarchs' accounts in Russia, where they, they can't do any transactions anymore. Yeah. That's something different. Uh, in that sense, I will be in favor of it because it's against specific individuals. Uh, that's actually also what happened in Zimbabwe uh, with some of their executive members and uh, some business uh, people. And uh, they had the individual personal sanctions. That is a solution. Uh, and uh, I will consider that as an option. Uh, but not general economic sanctions, because then it is actually innocent people who is paying the price in the end. The businessmen uh, and business people, they're still doing business. Uh, in fact, they increase their prices. I think in South Africa, we already have uh, the situation where there are some businesses, I say some, they are not affected in any uh, manner as far as the Ukraine war is concerned, but they are increasing their, their product, the prices of their products uh, under the smokescreen of the Ukraine uh, war. So that also happens. But yes, I am in favor of, say, individual uh, sanctions, prohibiting them, for instance, to travel to certain areas or whatever the case may be. And if they have properties uh, in certain areas, not in their own country, uh, yes, as far as that is concerned, I will be in favor of it. So, Doctor, um, with the invasion going on in Ukraine, we seem to have forgotten something massive that happened in South Africa, and that was our parliament was set on fire. And I mean, in another country, this would be massive, but here it's just another day in South Africa. What is your opinion of this event? Well, it is tragic uh, indeed. I mean, if you look at Parliament, many people see Parliament only as an institution where members of Parliament gather and they have talks about talks. What they don't realize when it comes to Parliament, uh, I always say that Parliament is actually an historic museum in this sense. If you go and look at the library and all the documents there, it's actually the history of the country. Uh, whether you agree with the history or not, uh, that doesn't matter. And uh, luckily, the library didn't that uh, damage as far as that is concerned, but it could. But 
we must also remember it's a symbol of an attack on the democracy. And democracy entails all of us. It is a, we, South Africa is a constitutional democracy. And we must take note, there are calls from individuals in the ANC, and in fact, the Premier of KZN, that wants to go back to a sovereign parliamentary uh, country constitution. What actually means, uh, if Parliament takes a decision, uh, then that is law. And no court can make a decision and declare it invalid. That's a big difference between a parliamentary uh, democracy and a constitutional democracy. At least at this moment, when it comes to the constitutional democracy, you can go to court and the court can say to the majority in Parliament, the legislation you approved is not acceptable, it's unconstitutional, therefore it's not valid. People must just remember that. So I see this as an attack on the democracy of South Africa. Well, there are rumors about the, uh, can I say, uh, what the motive was and uh, whether the person had some, they said at one stage he had some liquid explosives with him uh, and that sort of things. And then sometimes you hear, no, it's not so. The fact of the matter is, I've asked questions in the Portfolio Committee on Police to the Minister. Is it true that this person had some liquid explosives with him? Uh, because, uh, I mean, if you only had the, uh, the liquid explosive, but for instance, you didn't have any detonators and the explosive was not in reach, uh, then it was useless. So was it propaganda on the one side or not? The fact of the matter is, that this was a huge security breach when it comes to the security and the safety of Parliament. And that is the main lesson we must learn from that. I mean, uh, officials, security uh, officials that uh, didn't go to Parliament. Uh, I mean, monitors not working. Uh, it actually exposed the vulnerability of Parliament. And therefore, this is a very serious incident. I see that uh, the accused will appear, I think, in April again. They're still waiting for some forensics uh, from Parliament. And uh, I mean, I've, you can just imagine for yourself. And I heard that they are, I don't know, I think something right. And I, I can't understand whether it's true, but they're talking about uh, 80 tons and, or 80,000 tons of water that still have to be removed from Parliament. Uh, so, uh, I am worried at this moment that in the end, that there is not a solid case against this person and he will just get away. And that is part of the problem in South Africa. And I call it the virus of impunity. People are committing crimes uh, because of corruption and many other factors. Uh, can I say, inability of certain people to do proper investigations, uh, then the accused or the culprit just gets away with nothing, impunity. So I don't hope that is going to happen. I mean, Parliament, uh, doesn't matter from which political party you are, is still the symbol of the democracy in South Africa. And this, this was an attack on it. And if you take that and you see it in relation to the July, uh, unrest in KZN and Gauteng, and even new warnings, and even a report accusing cabinet, the executive, of failing the people of South Africa, uh, then this is really serious. And we must see this not only as an isolated situation, and as I said, an attack on the, democ uh, the South African democracy, we must also see it in relation with other incidents in South Africa. And that is actually worrying because I am of the opinion that specifically our intelligence services is not capable of proper intelligence in South Africa. What I mean by that, it's one thing to gather information, but the success of intelligence is how you interpret that information you get. And I have my doubts whether we still have highly trained, skilled people in the intelligence services who is actually capable 
of interpreting information where they can compile an intelligence report to prevent further violence. And uh, well, the president used the word insurrection in South Africa. What do you think of some members of the EFF's position that the burning down or the severe damage to parliament is a opportunity to relocate parliament to, I believe, Pretoria? Well, we must remember that the relocation of parliament is not a new decision or well, it's not a decision. It's, it's not a new proposal, let I put it that. Uh, we had a couple of proposals as far as that concerned. Well, the first thing is that the constitution determines that the parliamentary seat will be Cape Town. So if you move parliament, you will have to get the two thirds majority in parliament to do so. That's the first thing. The second thing is that and the Freedom Front Plus say in principle, we don't have a problem if they want to move parliament. But before we can approve of that, we want to have a thorough financial uh, analysis of the cost to move parliament. Because the main argument, uh, and that was the argument in the past, is that they will save a lot of money if they move parliament, for instance, say to Pretoria. Uh, I don't think it's true. The EFF, uh, they do their proposal more from, from an ideological point of view, uh, because they want to move away from the old, as they say that. Uh, the fact is, in the end, the, can I say, the qualifying matter will be what is the cost. And at this moment, I am sure that the restoration of Parliament will cost far less than moving Parliament to a new premises. Doesn't matter where they want to move it, whether it's Pretoria at one stage, Bloemfontein was uh, named as a more central uh, place and all that sort of things. So I think that they can restore it. And if they want to expand, uh, then they can do so. Uh, and I know it's about 10 years ago, uh, there was a whole new program for the expanding offices and even a new National Assembly for Parliament. And then they spoke about a couple of billion rands. So that's the other fact. South Africa cannot afford that because we don't have the money for that. So it's as simple as that. And I want to put it short. Uh, in principle, we don't have a objection, but then it must be cost effective uh, for the taxpayer to do so. And then, of course, I will have to change the constitution with a two thirds majority. Doctor, is it possible that yeah, th there's so much negligence involved in this fire in regards to the parliament? I mean, apparently the fire doors weren't working as well. So is it possible that this was orchestrated and that this homeless person that's now being charged for this crime is a Patsy, a Lee Harvey Oswald? Because wasn't some incriminating evidence burned as well? I'm going to answer you now and you're going to say that's a typical political answer. The answer is yes and no. Uh, but what I want to say is, um, yes, you're quite right. And that's what I mean when I refer to how vulnerable parliament is. In the one side, there's no doubt that it is because of the lack of proper maintenance in Parliament. Uh, I mean, uh, as you said, some fire uh, supplies uh, closed down, uh, doesn't work, and all that sort of things. Uh, that's negligence from Parliament, and we see it all over in S South Africa. It appears to me that the ANC government doesn't understand uh, maintenance. Uh, it is as if they don't think it is necessary. And uh, with that, there's also a lack of skills to do so. We saw the report from the fire department of Cape Town exposing all uh, that, can I say, the vulnerabilities and the, the non-compliance to fire fighting rules. Uh, I think that is part of maintenance negligence, so uh, incapable of doing that. The other thing is, well, it is not too difficult to get into Parliament. I mean, there's an outside uh, prison. It's not a very high, can I say, barrier to cross. Uh, it's easy to get over it. 
So you get can easily get into the prison. Uh, that's also part of the historic situation. You must also declare, uh, remember that Parliament has been declared a heritage site, a national heritage site. So you can't just change the things. But I mean, there are other means, for instance, the monitors. Uh, and it was admitted by the police that uh, the monitors didn't work and the date was given to the Portfolio Committee on Police from the 22nd of December. So from the 22nd of December, uh, some of those monitors didn't work and they didn't do anything about it. Uh, so that is first becoming back to incompetence in a certain sense. You referring to whether it was uh, a matter of uh, someone creating certain circumstances where it is easy for someone to approach and get into parliament and then sort of, uh, can I say, then do whatever he or she wanted to do. It's not impossible. There are questions about the connections of uh, the accused uh, uh, Mr. Mabe. And uh, there is also on record that uh, he made certain allegations and statements uh, previously and in a certain sense appears to be an activist uh, against the ANC, they say sometimes, but there's no specific proof as far as that is concerned. So that's why I said yes and no. It, I think it's a mix of both. Uh, it can, uh, well, well, let me put it this way, it is possible that uh, inside information uh, was given to Mabe to how to approach Parliament. And the reason why I say that is that it, it is quite a possibility is that it seems that he knew exactly where to go. Now, if you're not familiar with Parliament, I mean, if you go to Parliament, you get into the building, uh, then you will get lost because you don't know exactly where, what and more, the vulnerable positions and everything. And it seems, and in that sense, it, it appears to me that there was some inside information given to this Mr. Mabe. And isn't it very strange that this fire was started on the third floor? I mean, if, if you were to set a fire to a building, you would probably do it at the base. But I mean, wasn't this fire started on the third floor within the ANC's quarters? Well, it, yeah, you see, that is part of uh, what information the person had. Uh, you're quite right. Normally, if you just want to go and start a fire, then you get onto the ground floor, you start your fire and it continues. The fact that he went to up some floors and that sort of things uh, raises certain questions. Uh, if, if you want to be uh, objective and say, well, maybe there was no uh, inside information or everything. If you look at the walls, there's quite a lot of wood against the walls and it can burn easily if you start it there. But that's not natural. I mean, if you want to burn a place down, uh, then you start at the bottom. Because you should know if you start a fire on the fourth floor, uh, that will give enough time uh, for the fire brigade to get to the scene and, and uh, distinguish the fire. So there are many questions and the questions you are asking are very valid questions that uh, raises concerns about what is going on. And I want to put it in a nutshell to say, yes, if you look at uh, in context of what is happening in South Africa, and I refer again to the July situation last year, in KZN and Gauteng, the lack of proper intelligence in South Africa, the poor uh, condition of intelligence services in South Africa, the way uh, the accused entered parliament, the fact that he knew where to go, the stories about uh, liquid explosives, uh, and everything like that. If you put that together in a nutshell, then it is quite natural to say there are something much deeper in this attack to Parliament than just to say it is an ordinary crime. And I actually want to use the example with farm murders. You know, when you confront the government with farm murders, I always say, no, it's only 
normal crime. Now, they can't say, and if you look at all these features I've mentioned, you can't say that this was just a normal crime to set fire to a building. There are much, uh, can I say, other issues or many other issues which we have to look much deeper into this specific situation. Yes, absolutely. On the topic of security, what is your opinion of Ramaphosa's decision to suspend the police commissioner? I believe he was suspended. Satole. Yes. Well, I am on record when I said that the problem uh, of Sitole is that it was the conflict between him and the Minister of Police. And I put blame on both of them. And the reason I do that is that we must go a bit back into history. And I said it to the President that in the year 2000, the ANC government appointed a diplomat as a National Commissioner of Police, Jackie Selebi. And I said it is totally unacceptable that the Commissioner of Police is a person with no police experience or training. I mean, the Commissioner of the Police, in terms of legislation, is responsible for the operational issues of the police services. Jackie Selebi knew nothing about it. In fact, he started to disband all the specialized units. I mean, after him came Bekitsele. Bekitsele uh, was a politician at that stage. He was the MEC for safety in KZN. He had no previous police training experience or anything like that. Well, he only lasted for three years. Then came Ria Pihecha. Uh, she was a social worker. Now, not that there's something wrong with a social worker, but it does not suit a social worker with no experience in police to become the commissioner of police. Uh, to put it in short, I always said, you cannot fight crime with diplomacy and social issues and welfare. They don't understand. Criminals don't understand that. Now, in 2017, November, for the first time since 2000, a commissioner was appointed in uh, General Sitole, who had at that stage already 34 years of police experience. He started as a constable in police. He went through the ranks. He knew what was uh, how police functions. He had the experience, uh, the knowledge and everything. And I welcomed it. But what then happened is that the problem with the minister back at Sele when he became the minister in 2018 is that he started to interfere in operational issues because Beckett Seller believes that because he was the commissioner for three years, he knows everything about operational issues in the police services. And he interfered with the operations with Beckett Seller. And that's where the conflict started. I mean, it started with Sitole, uh, I say Beckett Seller, but it started with Sitole declaring that there is only one general in police services, and that is him. Bekitsele is not a general. And he's correct. Bekitsele is not a general, but Bekitsele, when he goes around, he wants to be referred to as a general. Now, he is not a general. So it was just quite natural that you will get a situation of conflict that will be detrimental to the top management of the South African police services. And that's exactly what happened. Because your top management, they have to deal and work with both the commissioner on the one hand and the police minister. And then they started with factions, uh, one faction supporting the minister, other faction supporting Sitole. Uh, and that was also a can I say one of the main reason, reasons why we had the situation with the intelligence reports uh, referring again to July or, uh, unrest uh, last year. And that was detrimental to fighting crime in South Africa. And yes, uh, his uh, five-year term, Sitolius five-year term expires uh, actually in November this year. And I think that is why there was an agreement between him and the president 
to say, right, you go and uh, you go on full retirement by the end of March. Do you think like Julius Malema does that Ramaphosa is scared of Bekechele? No, I don't think Ramaphosa is scared uh, as far as the Bekechele is concerned. Uh, And I don't want to use the president's uh, words. I think it was inappropriate to use it in Parliament in any way. But the fact is that Ramaphosa wants to survive. Uh, the elective conference of the ANC in December this year. And we must remember that Beckett Sele is a Zulu. He is from, uh, from KZN. And he has quite a lot of influence in the structures of the ANC. And in that sense, I think uh, that Ramaphosa is very careful whether he will replace him or actually fire him as a minister. I think in the end, if enough pressure is put on the president, that he will move Bakitele to a different portfolio away from police because he wants to survive uh, for the elective conference, as I've mentioned. But again, that he is afraid of him, uh, I think in the sense of what Julius Malema meant to be, I disagree with that. So, Doctor, if we can move to the recent local election results, the 2021 local election, do you do you think that was a success for the Freedom Front Plus? Did you achieve what you wanted to achieve? Yeah, there's no doubt that it was a success. And the reason I say that is, firstly, you must remember that in 2019, we got 2,37% of the vote. And uh, it was... Uh, we got uh, 10 members in the National Assembly and two in the National uh, Council of Provinces. And uh, that is the highest number of MPs uh, Freedom Front Plus had in its history in the National Assembly. So in that sense, it was a success as far as that is concerned. And if you go and look at the local government election of last year, we received 2,38% of the vote, a comma 1% difference more. Uh, than we got in uh, 2019. Now that's very positive because if you go and look at previous election results, normally the Freedom Front Plus got far less in local government elections than in national and provincial elections. So this was actually an improvement where we even, well, let's say we got exactly more or less the same. And that means that the basis for the Freedom Front Plus, as far as future elections are concerned, is quite stable. And we believe that we can increase our support in the 2024 election. And if you look at figures, I say percentages, uh, they are always something, but if you look at the numbers, uh, we had 69 uh, councillors throughout the country uh, before uh, last year's election. Now we have, Two hundred and thirty-nine councillors uh, elected uh, for the first time. Well, besides the uh, by-elections after the twenty nineteen elections, where we got four wards, we for the first time in a general uh, local government election, we actually won eight wards throughout the country. Now that's an improvement. Uh, so. If you ask whether we are satisfied, of course we are satisfied. It was a success. Uh, And even if you take in consideration the uncertainty, whether the election is going to take place or not, uh, that was quite uh, a challenge. Because you must remember that we already started with certain, uh, say, uh, propaganda uh, and certain actions when we believed that the election would have been the 27th of October. And then suddenly, I mean, advertisements and all that sort of things, that suddenly had to stop because there was uncertainty whether the election is going to take place last year or whether it's going to postpone until February. Now, it may appear to some people that that's not a big issue, but for political parties, that is a big issue because you have to reschedule uh, uh, your whole campaign 
to adjust to a new day. Now, luckily, uh, I mean, it would talk about three, four days difference. So we could have continued. Uh, and uh, it was quite a lot of uh, challenges we had to overcome, which we did. And if you take in consideration those old picture and circumstances, I am very satisfied. And the Freedom Front Plus did very well in the local government election last year. Are you worried about the low turnout, especially in the recent election? And why do you think these individuals are not voting for other parties like your party per se? Well, firstly, normally in uh, elections, when it's about a local government, uh, voter turnout is lower. I mean, that is uh, actually all over the world. You can see that. Uh, if you ask me if I'm worried about the low voter turnout, that is a huge problem in South Africa, not only as far as local government is concerned. If you go and look at national level, for instance, you must remember we have a proportional electoral system and it depends on the percentage of votes you get as a political party. And that percentage will be the percentage of representatives in the National Assembly. Now, if you take round figures in South Africa, uh, there are about 36 million eligible voters in South Africa. Of those eligible voters, only 26 million registered to vote. And from that 26, uh, I'm talking about national elections, uh, the voting percentage uh, was a little bit less than 70%. If you turn that around into figures, and with that election, the ANC got 58% of the vote. So they've got 58% of the 400 members in the National Assembly. But if you look at the number of people who voted in South Africa, and you take the number of votes uh, the ANC got, then the ANC governs with a 58% majority in the National Assembly with only 27% of eligible voters in South Africa. It means less than a third of the people of South Africa is actually supporting the ANC government. And, and that is worrying. And, and that's why I always appeal to the electorate, register and vote. Because if you don't vote, you make it more favorable to the governing party to have can I say, bigger percentages in the National Assembly. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, the ANC is quick to say that, but we've got 58% of the majority in National Assembly. <laughs> and trying to say to the people, but almost 60% of the people of South Africa is supporting the ANC. It's just not true. Only 27% of eligible voters in South Africa. Or can I say then the people of South Africa is actually supporting uh, the ANC. Therefore, uh, I also want to say that uh, people say yeah, there's something wrong with the electoral system. We know there's going to be a change now. But in the end, the Constitution determines in terms of Section 46 that the overall result must be proportional. And that is good for democracy. I'm much in favor of that. That means that you don't waste your vote, that if you vote for a political party, and increases the percentage, you will get more representation in the National Assembly. And don't blame the electoral system. The electoral system cannot, uh, for instance, make any representative uh, more accountable to the electorate. There's no such thing. Even the Fonsal report determined that. Uh, but the people must understand, you are only as strong as those who are going to voted in the election, and who voted for a specific party. So if the ANC can rule with a 58% majority in the National Assembly with only 27% of eligible voters, then surely I appeal to the electorate, don't stay away, register, and let's vote the ANC out in 2024. It is possible with a coalition of opposition parties. Doctor, many political analysts and polling suggest that the ANC will fall below 50% in 2024. What role do you see the Freedom Front Plus playing in the eventuality that the ANC falls below 
Well, firstly, I think they're correct. They will fall below 50%. Uh, we saw that now in the local government elections. It depends on how far they're going to fall below 50%. That's a, the, the main question. I believe that if opposition parties work hard, then they can uh, ensure that the ANC can even go into the 30, higher 30 percentages. It is possible. But then I say you have to work for art. If you ask specifically as far as the Freedom Front Plus is concerned, yes, we get uh, support and voters who votes for the Freedom Front Plus uh, uh, from, say, black communities, colored communities, Indian communities. Uh, so there are some of those people, but we are realistic. The party who can take away votes from the ANC must do their utmost best to do that. The ANC's traditional voters, they are not the traditional voters of the Freedom Front Plus. We know that. Our traditional voters are the white people in South Africa, the colored people are more and more voting for the Freedom Front Plus because of uh, our policy of protecting minority rights in South Africa. Uh, so they are coming more forward. So we will do our utmost best to get those voters to support the Freedom Front Plus. And remember what I said, each vote counts. You don't waste your vote. I spoke about the 27%. So our goal and our aim is to get as many people as possible to vote. And of course, we want them to vote for the Freedom Front Plus. And if we are a stronger party and we can form a coalition government in 2024, then in that coalition, the Freedom Front Plus has a stronger voice. And then you can bring in your values into that coalition for 2024. And that's actually what, is hap what happened on local government election. We are in a couple of coalition governments, specifically in Gauteng, and we can bring our values. Let's take one value, for instance. The Freedom Front Plus, since the start of the Freedom Front Plus, opposed black economic empowerment and affirmative action. And if you see what is happening in those municipalities where the Freedom Front Plus is a coalition partner, that's exactly what is happening now. Other political parties who was much in favor of black economic power, uh, affirmative action, is now actually saying, I think we must abandon that. So that's our influence to take a good example. And therefore, we will from our side, because your question is, what role the Freedom Front Plus will play in the whole issue to getting the ANC below 50%, is to get more people to vote. Because you don't necessarily have to take votes away from the ANC to decrease their support. If you get more people who vote, it decreases them in automatically because there are more people that 27% of the vote will then uh, become even less if more people uh, vote uh, in an election. So that will be our main uh, objective. Of course, we have our internal policies and principles uh, where we will also enhance that uh, because we believe that is in the best interest of South Africa and the electorate. So, Doctor, on the, on the subject of the Freedom Front Plus's values, a lot of political analysts say that Action SA is a big threat to the Democratic Alliance and to, to the ANC. But isn't Herman Mashaba, who is ostensibly a conservative, gunning for your voters as well? Aren't you bleeding some voters in Pretoria and Johannesburg to Action SA, who is a conservative party and who is, whereas the Freedom Front Plus aims to be more of a party for minorities, Action SA tries to include black people as well. Well, firstly, I want to say, uh, although Action SA may be seen as a conservative party uh, and their values, we must also remember, yes, the Freedom Front Plus is also a conservative party and our values. Uh, that doesn't mean if we go for minority rights and protection of minority rights that we limit uh, our support basis. In fact, more and more people in South Africa realizes that you have to 
have more powers uh, decentralized to communities. I mean, you get, for instance, a movement like Cape Exit in the Western Cape. Uh, more, and pe more people realize that the government failed the people and therefore we need more powers. So if we say we talk about protection of minorities, it's not only that. Yes, we protect the uh, minority parties uh, and their rights, but we also say that we want more devolution of power to communities, give them the power to rule. So that is actually quite a lot of people and uh, electorate who is in favor of that. Coming back to Action SA, is that I always say that you have to be realistic in South Africa when it comes to party politics. I don't see that any white man or white woman will ever become the president of South Africa again. We can count. Uh, white voters in South Africa uh, is about 7% of the electorate. So if you only go for white people, uh, then you must understand that that is what you're going to get. But we say that the ANC, the majority of the people, are black voters. And you will have to get a political party who black voters will see as a possible future president or governing party. Now, don't take color out of the run. It plays a major role. And we saw that. Uh, you know, in one election when Alan Ziller was still the leader of the DA, uh, they started a campaign specifically also amongst the EFF and the ANC did that as well. And they said, do you want to vote for a white woman? Do you want to be the tea girl or the tea boy for her? That's the way they do their election campaigns. And I mean, the moment you have a white leader of a political party, the only thing the ANC it does is to go to the people and say that you want to go back to apartheid. That's what they do. And they are successful as far as that is concerned. Those are the simple principles of politics in South Africa. And people are tend to don't want to talk about it because you're not allowed to talk about black and white and race in South Africa. I say that's nonsense. You can talk about it, but we must talk with respect when we talk about race in South Africa. And realities are realities. If you're in a state of denial, you won't progress in any way. Herman Mashawa is in the right position with the conservative values. And we can see now in the election, and that's why the political analysts are quite correct. It seems if you look at Gauteng, it is quite clear that Action Act say, took votes from the ANC, and I want them to take more votes from the ANC. They took from the DA uh, and the IFP. Uh, they didn't really take votes from the Freedom Front Plus. Of course, you will get some voters, white, or let I rather say, you will get some supporters of the Freedom Front Plus that will think, okay, let's vote for the Action SA. But not because of the conservatism. They will vote for the Action SA because they want to vote for a political party who can unseat the ANC government. And that was all over the years why people voted for the DA, but they believed in the principles of the Freedom Front Plus. And they said, how many times, how many voters I met and said, listen, we want to vote for the Freedom Front Plus because we share your values and your principles, but we must first get rid of the ANC. And that's why I'm going to vote for the DA because they're official opposition. And I mean, the official opposition, the DA, successfully used the slogan of don't waste your vote on a smaller party. Now they are exposed. Uh, the Freedom Front Plus went out of its way to inform the people and to prove to them it's not true to say you waste your vote. Every vote counts. And that's why we had a difference in 2019. Uh, and people now realize that in South Africa, the only way to unseat the ANC is that you go and vote. You vote for your party who you believe have the, and share the same principles uh, and values, and you can still make a difference. They know that there's not one single opposition party 
who on its own will be able to unseat the ANC. Action SA on its own will not be able to unseat the ANC. Uh, they will only be able to do that in a coalition of government. But I say to people and I say to Action SA, focus on the voters of the ANC. Don't focus on the voters, for instance, of the DA. Because all you do is you are moving the chairs on the deck. Uh, it's no use to say, well, this chair is not supporting the ANC, but now we want them and we take it away from the DA. Uh, then you made no difference. The Action SA and also the DA must put all their focus on the voters of the ANC so that the ANC get less than 40%. Because we must remember, if, for instance, they get 48% or 47%, they can also go into a coalition with the EFF. And we must ensure, and we know that the EFF is around about 10% of the vote, that if they get below 40%, the ANC, then they will not be able to go, or they could try to go into a coalition with the EFF, but still they won't have the majority. And that must be the focus for 2024. Uh, I want to say again, yes, there were some voters who voted for the Freedom Front Plus in the last election that will maybe now vote for the Action SA. Uh, but I don't think uh, that will make really a difference. Uh, the support base uh, for Action SA is actually uh, the voters of the ANC, and they must continue doing everything to get those voters away from uh, the ANC. On a more light note, what is your opinion of the drama between Erman Mashaba and Elin Ziller? The fact that they don't want to shake each other's hands. Is, is the Freedom Front Plus pro handshaking? And would in a meeting with either one of those two shake their hands? Let me immediately say yes, we are pro handshaking, especially when you are coalition uh, partners in a coalition. <clears throat> because we must remember one thing. Coalition government is uh, something new for the electorate in South Africa. Uh, and I said before that the electorate of South Africa must also, I don't want to use the word educated. It seems if they're uneducated, that's not what I mean by that. But what I want to say, it must be properly informed how coalitions work in a political system. Because I had the situation when uh, supporters came to me and said, well, you're now in a coalition for the, with the DA. So why must I vote for the Freedom Front Plus? Uh, then I can vote for the other political party. People must understand that coalitions is to make your party stronger so that they can bring your values into a coalition. That is, of course, different uh, specifically in Europe. If you take Germany, for instance, people understand that. But besides that, I am pro handshaking. I mean, we have to work together. And I always said that coalition government actually requires stronger political leaders. And the reason why I said that and saying that is that when you're a political party leader, of course, you want to do everything only for your political party. But in a coalition, you must understand you still want to do the best for your political party, but you have to compromise. And therefore, in that compromising, you must ensure and see what is in the best interest of the electorate, not in the best interest of your own party or the best interest of another political party. You bring in your values. But the aim in the end is that what is in the best interest of the electorate. Therefore, I say that you have to have strong political leaders who can successfully lead a coalition. Because specifically when it comes to some political party leaders, uh, the egos are very, very great and big in themselves. Make no mistake. When it comes to Alan Zilla specifically and uh, Arman Mashaba, I saw them in action. Uh, I mean, I attended the, the coalition mat, uh, uh, meetings and everything. That's bad blood. And unfortunately, I also understand in politics it works like that. Uh, because, I mean, Herman Mashaba broke away from the DA. Uh, a lot of things uh, were said uh, towards each other. And it's not just a matter of 
it's not like a switch for uh, switching on a light or switching it off. Uh, that bad blood is there. But I must say, in the end, in the, in the beginning, it was a bit of a problem. But in the end, I think, and I specifically saw more realistic, uh, can I say, uh, a realization that, listen, let's put our differences aside and let's see what we can do in the best interest of the electorate. And that is the process. And I am optimistic. And I, if I can refer to the Zilla Mashaba incident, that actually in the end is also proof uh, that it is possible that you can have political foes that can come together, stand together and see what is in the best interest of the electorate. Well, Doctor, I see our time is running out. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure as always. I want to give you one last opportunity to add anything you want to before I conclude with the interview. Oh, I think uh, what I want to add, and firstly, thank again for the opportunity, and you're always uh, welcome, uh, even in future. I think what we must say to the electorate of and the people of South Africa, don't think that the circumstances in South Africa will improve under an ANC government. There are people who think that, well, if they can just get rid of the corrupt in the ANC, we will have a better future in South Africa. Corruption in the ANC is of such pandemic measures that you will never be able to, uh, can I say, change the ANC when it comes to corruption, uh, inability to be a proper government. The only way to save South Africa is to get a new government. And I want to reiterate, there's not one single opposition party who on its own will be able to unseat the ANC. It will only be a coalition of opposition parties. It is possible for 2024. But then I also want to say, then the people of South Africa, the eligible voters must register and they must vote in 2024. Then we can have change in a government and then we can turn the ship around to make South Africa a peaceful, prosperous future for the people of South Africa. Well, absolutely. And yeah, thank you, doctor. Thank you so much for your time. To our viewers, please consider liking this video, sharing it as widely as possible and subscribing to our channel. My name is Donald and you've been watching Worldview.